We are studying You Had One Job. It's a series that Max started last week, and it's based on this concept of you had one thing to do. It wasn't that complicated. It wasn't that difficult, and you didn't get it done. Now, it's been made popular by several TV shows and online go to Google, go to YouTube, you see a lot of things on there, but, but you particularly see it on college game day, uh, ESPN, Sports Center on Saturdays as they're getting ready for all the college games that day, they'll have a segment set aside for you had one job. And they typically show somebody on the football field messing up, a kicker missing a field goal horribly, or maybe something going on on the sidelines, or maybe even something going on in the stands but it's been made quite popular. Now, I picked something to show you that's not quite as glitzy as ESPN SportsCenter. And I picked it for a very specific reason. Now, now, in fact, it looks like it was taken with a cell phone and not a very good cell phone at that. Let me set it up for you. It's a track meet, and it appears to be a distance race because the runners appear exhausted when they cross the finish line. When you look at this clip, it's only 14 seconds long, so you got to look quick. Don't pay attention to the runners. I want you to look at the finish line. When you look at the finish line, you're going to see a man whose job it was, apparently, to stretch the tape across the finish line. He was to be assisted by two young ladies whose job it was to stretch the tape across the finish line. Let's look and see what happens. I mean, just wow. You had one job. Just hold the tape. That's all you got to do. The runners did the hard part. You know, they're having to compete against each other and test time their pace and then kicking in at the last as they ground the curve for the home stretch. And you had one job, hold the tape. And you see what happens. Now, how does that happen? I mean, clearly, that's not a very difficult job. Clearly, they understood what the job was, but yet they didn't get it done. Why is that? Well, the race started and the crowd noise rose up, and there were all kinds of other things going on, and distractions and whatnot, and then all of a sudden they realized at the last, oh, wait a minute, we got to get the tape out, and then, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to hold the tape, she's supposed to hold the tape, and they got all confused there at the end. And the one job they had, they didn't get done. Now, we can laugh at that, and we can be entertained by it, but in our Christian walk, those of us who claim to be Christ followers, how often does that happen in our life? That, that we have one job, and yet we let the noise of life interfere. Now, Max started this series last week by describing our one job. He said, we have one job as Christ followers, and it is to love God with all of our heart, 
with all of our soul and with all of our mind. That's it. He asked me to address how do we take that from our one job to our job, to our work. And it doesn't matter whether we work at a company or work for ourselves in a bathrobe at our computer or whether we work at home or whether we go to school and we work at school or whether we teach those students or whether we work for the district or the state or whomever. How do we take it to our work? Now, about 18 months ago, Mac did a series and he asked me to speak on work. And in that series, what I discussed was why we work. And if you will recall, we studied Ecclesiastes and Solomon who explained why we work. He said we work because that is what we are built to do. That is why we are here, to eat, to drink, and to toil under the sun. And if you want to get your year kicked off right, let me just tell you, read Ecclesiastes. It's wonderful. Now, I ran into a lady within the last two weeks who saw me somewhere and says, hey, don't you teach at LHC sometimes at Lake Hills? I said, yeah, I do. She goes, I remember you being to talk about why we work and that we were built for work. And I was, quite frankly, blessed by that. I said, wow, I was really, that's really cool because it told me that at least one person paid attention to at least <laughs> one part of that service. They didn't fall asleep through the whole service. She at least heard that part before she dozed off. But now we're going to discuss how we work, how we work. And we look at Colossians to talk about how we work. Because how we work, our one job requires us to think differently about how we work. And I'm going to make it easy for you. We're going to remember L-H-C. And the first thing we have to remember is the L, and that is we work as if for the Lord. We work as if for the Lord. Look at Colossians 3.23, if you have it on your cell phones, your laptop, or an old-fashioned Bible, Colossians 3.23, or you can read it on the screen. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Now, what this means is we have to rethink our approach to work. We have to rethink our approach to work. Because that means while we actually work for a boss or a manager or a client or a customer or a patient or we're trying to please the teacher if we're a student or the coach if we're an athlete, we work as if we're working for the Lord. It's a make-believe. It's a mindset. If someone were to ask you, well, who do you work for? Well, I work for Dell, but I work as if I work for the Lord. We rethink how we approach work. My wife works for ExxonMobil, and she has since 1983. When she started work, there was a gentleman who had been with the company for years, 35, 40 years at that time. She knew him because he was her roommate's dad. She did not work for him. She didn't work in the same division, but he called her into his office when she first started working there. And he said, 
you're going to have a long career here at Exxon. And in that career, you're going to work for some really good managers. And you're going to work for some really bad managers. And you need to learn how to work with both. The ones who are good, you learn what they do well. The ones who are not so good, you learn what not to do. But you stay the course. And that's sort of what Colossians is telling us here. It doesn't matter whether your boss is a jerk or a really cool person. You work as if for the Lord. Now, what we then do is we work differently. Because we've reset our mind, we've recalibrated our mind as if we're working for the Lord, that means we work differently. When uh, I was a young associate at a law firm in Houston, Back in 1985, they had about 125 lawyers, and there were partners who were in charge of the firm and payment and bonuses and all of that, and then there were associates, and I was an associate. And the associates, it was your job to do all the things that partners told you to do and to give the perception that you were a hard worker. Now, there's two ways to give the perception that you're a hard worker. You can actually be a hard worker. You're at your desk, you're doing your depositions, you're getting ready for closing. You're surrounded by papers. This was before we had computers. <laughs> you're surrounded by papers, and you're a hard worker. You're there in weekdays, nights, sometimes weekends. And then the associates had this little secret thing we did. I'm not so sure how much of a secret it was. But you would take a jacket that you didn't wear anymore, and you put it in your office prominently displayed, and you take a cup of coffee, and you set it on the desk, and you fill it up with coffee, or half full, half full. So that when a partner came into your office and looked in to see if you were there, they would see the jacket and see the coffee and just assume you were there, even though you snuck out and went home. <laughs> now, now that, that deception might work for the partners. You, you actually might deceive a partner into thinking that you're a hard worker, but it doesn't work for God. He knows where you are. He knows what you're doing. So see, we work differently when we think about as if we're working for God. We also, uh, we understand the consequences of work differently. We understand the consequences of work differently. You see, good work will always be recognized by God. Always. It may or may not be recognized by your family if you're a stay-at-home mom. It might not be recognized by your clients or your patients or even your teachers or coaches. It might not be recognized by your partners or your managers or your boss, but God recognizes it. And so we always, always do good work. In this one area of my practice, I have about two or three things that I can mention as what I would call my top top two or three things. I mean, I did just an excellent job on these things. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying I did good work on this one, on these one, two, three things. They were, they were above and beyond the others. And on one of them, I didn't get paid my agreed upon fee. After I did the work, the person I did the work for didn't pay me. Now, because I'm a Christ follower, I have to look at that differently than if I'm not a Christ follower. Because I have to know I did what I was supposed to do. The fact that I didn't get paid for it is on the client. 
Okay? By the way, next time, I'm getting my money up front. <laughs> Shoddy work. Uh, cheating, lying, fudging the numbers. You know, little things you can do that the clients may not know about, your boss may not know about. God does. So we don't do that. We don't do that as Christ followers. We work differently because of our one job, and that's to love God. We respond to success differently. We respond to success differently. You see, we respond differently because we know where the success came from. We don't, we don't flare off when things are going particularly well. We, we confer with God, say, okay, what do we do with this? Do we expand? Do, do we share the proceeds with the employees? Do we, how, how do we do this? We handle success differently. Ah, but here's a biggie. We handle failure and respond to failure differently. You see, failure is going to happen. But for Christ followers, failure is another word for opportunity. It's another word for an opportunity to see what God is going to do next in our work. Failure for Christ followers is not the end of the story. It's the beginning of the next story that God is going to do. That's how Christ followers respond to failure, and that's how we respond when we think of work as worship. About a month ago, I get a daily Bible verse through this one app called uh, Uversion, Uversion Holy Bible, and it pops up a Bible verse every day. By the way, I am not making this up. I am not making this up. Do you know what the Bible verse is for today? <laughs> it's Colossians 3, 23. I am not making this up. Oh, really? It's, it's, when I woke up this morning and I saw that, I just went, ha, you got to be kidding me. Really? Really, today. That's the Bible verse of today. All right, okay. I hear you. Thank you. Got it. Uh, this stuff is real, man. This is, whew. About a month ago, I got a Bible verse of the day, and I was talking with a partner of mine, and he, we're working on this thing, and it was not looking good. It was not looking good at all. And I told him, I said, well, there's this Bible verse uh, that I was reading about in 2 Corinthians. It's my Bible verse of the day, and it said, Paul is talking about God does his work through our weakness. He can't really do his work through our strength. He works through our weakness, the thing where we say, we can't do anymore. I can't. I'm, not, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. He goes, good. All right, good. Now, let me watch and see what I do. So I, I, and I don't look. When I talk to this guy, I don't always quote Bible verses to him. It's not what I do. I just happened to mention it that day because it was a pretty bad day. It, it, was, a, it was a bad day. Three days later, I called him back. Something dramatic had happened that just flipped our world around completely flipped around. I said, hey, you remember that Bible verse? He goes, yeah, 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 I, I remember. I got it. Yeah, I got it. I remember. You see, we look at failure differently when we're Christ followers because we are waiting patiently for God to do his work. We don't get bitter. We don't get depressed. We don't get angry. 
We might be disappointed, but we're only disappointed because well, I thought it was going to work out this way. So here's what we do. We recalibrate and say, all right, I'm going to be patient. God's getting ready to do something. I'm going to hang on. That's how we respond. That's how we do our one job. What we were discussing here are two paths. We're all on two paths, seemingly. We have our worship path. And the worship path is what we're doing right now. We're in a building designed for worship. We just sang with a band that has been given talent and, in, and is displaying that talent for worship. If we were singing just a few minutes ago and somebody nudged us and said, hey, hey, what, what, what are you doing? We'd be singing, what, what, what are you doing? You'd say, I'm, I'm worshiping, shut up. Right? When we pray, if we're in the middle of prayer and we're listening to prayer and somebody goes, hey, hey, what are you doing? I'm worshiping. Because it's easy to see, it's easy to do. You're probably sitting next to a Christ follower. You're sitting next to someone who worships. Most everybody in here is a Christ follower. So it's okay to talk about worship because this setting is designed for it. Now we got another path. Wake up in the morning, do our exercise, eat your breakfast, go to work, you walk to work, you walk downstairs, put on your robe, go to your computer, you go, get up and go to school in the morning, you get up and go to do whatever it is you do. If you're retired and you go somewhere to volunteer, whatever it is you do, go to Home Depot to pick up some supplies, whatever it is you do. Now all of a sudden, you're not in this worship environment. The band doesn't follow us around <laughs> to keep us kind of, you know, in beat, right? And, and we forget that that's worship too. So what we have to do is take our work path and our worship path that we do here and intersect them, but better than that, we intertwine them such that they become one and that we worship when we work and through our work because that's our one job. Now, Let's see what that looks like. When we have our one job and we're doing our one job, it addresses our actions, and that's the H, our heart, our heart. Colossians 3.23, work with all your heart. Excuse me, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not men. Now, what does that mean? That means we work with diligence. That means we work with a purpose with everything we do, even mundane tasks. You work at it with a purpose. I had surgery on my right shoulder in, in August, rotator cuff surgery. I had the surgery on a Friday. Saturday afternoon, my surgeon calls me at home. And he says, hey, just checking on you, seeing how you're doing. I said, well, I'm a little, little nauseous still, but getting through that and a little painful, but I'm, I'm okay. He says, well, are you doing your exercises? I said, uh, excuse me, <laughs> exercises? I'm sorry, I just had surgery yesterday. I'm still in this thing. What, what are you talking about exercise? He said, I, I gave your wife uh, all the paperwork for the exercise. So I turned to Johnita and I said, what? You, do you have some papers that I'm supposed to be doing some exercises? 
She says, I don't know. There was so much going on yesterday. So she flips through the paper. She goes, oh, yeah, here it is. <laughs> I said, okay, thanks. Great. So Doc goes, all right, make sure you do your exercises. I'll see you in two weeks. He hung up. Now, the surgeon had done his job the day before. He did the surgery on the shoulder. By the way, it's back. I'm, I'm back in action, man. It's, you, you know, I got to tell you, when I, when I was having that stuff done, I felt vulnerable. I just felt like, you know, the, the bull in the back of the pack that, you know, everybody else, I couldn't defend myself, you know. But anyway, I'm back now. But the surgeon did his job. He fixed the shoulder. He gave the instructions. He was done. But he was diligent. He called the next day to say, make sure you're doing your exercises because I got to get you recovered. I got to get you healed. And by the way, those exercises, it was real tough to hang on to my religion because I, I was not loving on the surgeon doing this stuff the next day after surgery. It's hard to hold on to my religion. We work with diligence, with diligence. We work with a sense of urgency. We work with a sense of urgency. We want to we wanna get the job done. We're not lazy. We're punctual. We're, we're, we're moving. Whether we're working for ourselves or working for someone else, we move. We move. I know I've told this story before, but it made an impact on me as a kid because my dad got me up at 2 a.m. on Monday morning to haul hay all night. And the reason he did that is because we bale the hay on, this is old school bales of hay. We bailed the hay on Saturday. He was a Baptist minister. He didn't work on Sunday. And so Monday morning at 2 a.m., it was going to rain the next morning at 8.30. So he decided, we got to get up and get this hay in. He had a sense of urgency. He says, the good Lord gave me the hay. I at least ought to get it out of the field. I had a young man come help me move into the house in, that I grew up in in Caldwell. He was an Ag A&M student building construction major, friend of the families. I had him to come over to help me move in. He got there, and the first thing he noticed when he got to the house, it was raining, pouring down. We were trying to move furniture in. He said, when are you going to put the gutters in? I went, yeah, I'm, 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 uh, we're doing gutters. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Why wouldn't we? It had never crossed my mind. I grew up in that house. My dad never had gutters. I just never even crossed my mind. But the first thing he did, he got there with a sense of urgency. You need gutters. And then we got there, and we were working, and we were putting stuff together. And I look around, and, man, he was getting after it. I mean, he'd have that, he'd have a, you know, a socket set out and putting beds together, and pa-da, 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 bam, he was done, and he was moving quick. And I had to step up my game a little bit. I was like, this little kid's going to, I'd show him. <laughs> what? And I had a thought. His dad taught him how to work. His dad taught him how to work with a sense of urgency. But see, his dad was a former Marine. And his dad was taught to have a sense of urgency or you might not get back home. And he passed that on to his son. So as Christ followers, we work with a sense of urgency. We also work with a Christ-like attitude. We work with a Christ-like attitude. Now, look, I know that everybody has a bad day. You have your own bad day, and then other people have bad days. But as Christ followers, we have to be kind. 
and gentle and not slanderous, no rage. And we, we have to not be that annoying employee that nobody wants to be around and nobody wants to have on their team. And by the way, just so you'll know, tomorrow is slap your annoying coworker day. No, 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 really. I got a poster to prove it. Show them the poster about tomorrow. Look at this. Isn't that great? If you're not sure who that is, I'd call in sick. That's good. Don't be that guy. Don't be that woman. Don't, don't be the person that, that nobody wants to be around at work. We got to have a Christ-like attitude. And here's the problem. The problem is sometimes work is unpleasant tasks. Sometimes the things that we have to do at work are tedious or they're just not fun. When I was growing up as a kid, uh, my dad, uh, his ranch was not next to Mr. Weaver and Mr. Weaver grew turkeys. And just before Thanksgiving, usually around October, um, not every year, not every year, but occasionally Mr. Weaver would come by and ask my dad, hey, can Bill help me you know, get turkeys loaded? And my dad would always volunteer me to go load the turkeys. <laughs> I hated loading turkeys. I didn't mind cattle work. That was fine. But loading turkeys, ugh. You got to reach down and pick them up, and they're flapping their wings, and you got to hand them off. But you know what? I did it with a good attitude. I had a couple of reasons why. I didn't want Mr. Weaver to tell my dad I had a bad attitude about my work. But what good would it do not to have a good attitude? You got to do the work anyway. So do it with a good attitude. That's our one job. Look, I don't have to be a Christ follower to work like I do. I can be a non-believer and work hard, have a good attitude, be kind and gentle and the kind of person that people want to be around. But if I am a Christ follower, it ought to be reflected in my work. The people around me ought to be able to tell, you know what, I wonder if this person's a Christ follower because they are always upbeat. And it doesn't matter what's going on, they seem to have a positive outlook and attitude about things. And that's what we are to reflect with our one job. Finally, our one job reminds us of who we serve, and that's the C, Christ. Colossians 3.24, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, what this means is two things. First, we work with integrity. We work with integrity. I, I want to make sure we're clear here. The first point we discussed where we work as if we're working for the Lord, that's a mindset, right? I work for Dell, but I work as if I work for the Lord. That's a mindset. This third point, we serve the Lord. That's who we serve. That's our one job. And we have to remember that. And in so doing, that means we have to have the most the utmost integrity. We tell the truth. When we say something, you ought to be able to take it to the bank. I have a friend who got a PhD in Cambridge and he did his dissertation on the truth and trust. 
And his theory was that the entire world economy is based upon trust. The banking system is based upon trust. And it doesn't matter whether you're dealing with the plumber who comes to your house to fix your toilet or to fix your appliance, or whether you're getting ready to invest in a uh, startup or in other investments, it is based upon trust and the truth. And as Christ followers, we have to hold that standard of truth. It's uncompromising. And I'm going to rant just a little bit about something. I've done it before. I'm going to do it again because it keeps coming up. In fact, it just came up last week in my work. There are too many Christ followers who take advantage of other Christ followers because of Christ. They use Christianity to take money and be deceptive. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. Mac always says we don't have to check our brains at the door when we become Christ followers. You check people out, exercise discretion, and know with whom you're dealing. Okay? Integrity. Now, the last one is kind of fun. The last point is Christ has a promise of a bonus, an inheritance. Let's look at it once again. Colossians 3:24. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, this inheritance, this reward is different than an inheritance you will find in other places in the Bible. This inheritance is similar to the inheritance referred to in Ephesians 6, 8. This is not the inheritance that we witnessed here that these people went through in baptism when they received salvation, an inheritance of salvation that they cannot lose. They cannot lose that. This is different. This is a reward. This is a bonus. This is something extra. And I can't tell you what your bonus is going to be. I can't tell you when you're going to get your bonus. What I can guarantee you, though, is that you will get one. You will get a bonus. It might be a client that went away years ago under unfortunate circumstances, and all of a sudden they circle back around. It might be a deal that you thought had gotten away from you, and the next thing you know, it comes back around. It might be an unexpected windfall in money and profits. I don't know. But the bonus is guaranteed. And that's exciting news. It's really not hard to understand our one job, is it? I mean, it's pretty easy to understand that we should love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. What happens is that when we leave this building, it gets a little noisy. The race has started, and, and, and things are coming at us a lot faster than they are right now sitting here in this sanctuary. The cell phone is ringing all the time. The news is throwing negative stuff at us all the time. You're dealing with people who may or may not be Christ followers. And all of a sudden, we forget our one job. I want to ask you a question. Are you holding the tape? Let's end with the word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, 
we come to you today and we take a pause, a deep breath, as we start the new year, we take this time to understand what it is you would have us to do. We resolve to do something different than we did in 2016 when it comes to you and worshiping you. Not just attending church. That's good, but not enough. We resolve to understand our one job. And we ask for your help, strength, and guidance as we, as we apply it in the marketplace, as we apply it in our homes. That we work as if you're the boss. We work to please you. Father, help us to, to quiet the noise. Help us to remember during the confusing times that we have one job, to love you. And that when we love you, it, it shows in the way we work. It shows in our diligence. It shows in our sense of urgency. It, it shows in our honesty and integrity. It shows in our attitude. It shows in our patience for failures, rejoicing in our successes. Help us to hold the tape. If there's anyone here who, who has not professed faith in Jesus Christ, you don't yet have one job. But you know you want to do something different. That whatever it is you've been doing isn't working particularly well. And while you might not be able to put a finger on it, you want to try something different. You might not understand it all, and that's okay, neither do we. Just know, it is as simple as saying, I want that one job. I want to surrender to the Lord Jesus and receive his unending love, the love that he pursues diligently, the love that he always makes available through good times and bad. And if that is you and if that is your prayer, we ask that you let us know that. A couple of ways. One, you were given a, a handout when you walked in. If you would take that card, fill it out, 
and about halfway down, check the box that said, I accepted Jesus Christ today. And then take that card and on the way out today, hand it to an usher, hand it to someone at the blue tent out front and let them know that today was my day. We're not going to harass you. We're, we're going to pull alongside. That's what we do here. Also, we want an aff affirmation of what you've done. With every head bowed, every eye closed, every heart praying, if you would just let us know that you've made that decision by raising your hand. Definitively, quietly, but raise your hand. And we have another tradition that we do here at Lake Hills Church. As you put your hand down, we put our hands together to celebrate. 